Welcome to another episode of the In the Limelight podcast. I'm Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. You are tuned in to Booksmart's Authors on Show with Christy Francie. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show, a creation of Clarissa Burt, founder of In the Limelight Media. I am your host, Christina Francie, and today I am so thrilled to be interviewing Rachel Sidaway, who is a best-selling author despite being diagnosed with dyslexia. Her first book, An Impossible Life, is an Eric Hoffer Grand Prize winner, and Rachel has been interviewed in all 50 states on the local and national news, including CBS, this morning and the Tamron Hall show. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the episode today. I can't wait to dive into your book and the obstacles and challenges that you overcame to basically publish a book. Um, But before we dive into the questions today, um, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So I am the oldest of three children. And I'm the daughter, the only daughter, and my mom has bipolar disorder as well as OCD. And most of my life, I was one of her primary caregivers. And so I kind of developed this really close bond with my mom. And I always wanted to be a writer, even though I couldn't read books. And so the very first book I ever wrote was about her bipolar disorder. I wrote it as her So it's in first person narrative and I was able to tell her life story, which was really special. That is super special. Um, I know I've always thought I wanted to write a book, but I could never, I always have like the demons in my head, like, oh, you're not a good enough writer or you can't do it, et cetera, et cetera. It can go on. But you, you were diagnosed with dyslexia at the age of eight. So what was like, what was that like growing up? Um, having that? And how did you overcome saying like, you know, regardless of my dyslexia, I'm going to put out this book? Yeah. So a lot of my childhood, I was very embarrassed. Um, I remember my younger brothers would have friends come over and they'd find my little picture books and they're like, who reads the baby books? And I always would lie and be like, oh, they're just here. I don't know. They're just old books. And really, I was struggling to read them. They were just like a few words on each page. And I was really Mm -hmm. struggling even at eight to read like the cat or things like that. And so in third or fourth grade, I believe we had a book report due and we all went to the library to pick out our books. And I couldn't read any of them, obviously, because she Mm -hmm. wanted us to, the teacher wanted us to choose chapter books. And so when book report day came, I ended up making up a story instead of reading a real book report because I'd never read a book. So I stood at the front of the classroom and I held a blank piece of paper and I pretended to read my report when really I was just making up the story about a rabbit in the woods. And I kind of got this sense that maybe I could be a storyteller, even though I couldn't read stories. And that was the first time I felt kind of empowered that I could be a writer, even if I wasn't a reader. And over time I did, you know, obviously learn to read, but I still am not a huge reader, even though I really enjoy writing, which is kind of a contradiction. I don't think it is. I mean, some people like have like that imagination, like you said, like to create stories. And that's what your gift is, is writing stories and sharing it with the world. You don't have to read other people's stories, you know? 
So <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier your mom suffered from bipolar and OCD. You know, growing up um, and you had to help take care of her, like how did you balance like caregiving and your own life? So that's a great question. I would say I didn't. I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. I wasn't equipped to know how to balance my mother's bipolar disorder and suicidal thoughts and have my own life. So what ended up happening was I just kind of had my life become her life. I was like solely focused on keeping a suicidal person happy and alive. And what could be more important than that? And so it, whether it came to dating or wanting to read books or leisurely things, I just, all of it went to the background. Cause I'm like, nothing can be more important than keeping mom happy. Right. And it came to a breaking point where my husband was like, I feel like you put your mom first and I should be your number one. And I was like, you're right. I'm like, you're right. You should be my number one, not my mom, especially since my mom is in a stable place now. Like she doesn't need that type of, you know, all consuming support. So I had to learn how to not keep my life in the background and let it be my life and still be helpful, but not all consumed by her. Because for so long, I felt like my heart beat for the wrong body. Like Mm -hmm. my mind was entrenched in hers. And I just happened to have this physical experience outside of her life where it took a lot of therapy to realize I could claim my life without feeling guilty Um, and so, yeah, I've been working on that a lot and I'm writing a book currently about my childhood and kind of how you can do that. Right. How do you be a caregiver and then also have your own life? That's like a lot to take on, you know, like your identity becomes your mom and like Mm -hmm. your mom is like your everything. And to have her see her suffering is also just like a tremendous burden to wear and, you know, kudos to you, you know, to be able to kind of like break away. Cause that's like the hardest thing, you know, you grew up and like your reality, especially from when you were young is like mom, mom, mom. Mm-hmm. And it's not easy breaking those habits. I, I'll tell you that right now. We always like, we feel like we take one step forward. Um, and then we take three steps back, you know, and, you know, I just commend you for that because that's a lot to take on, um, especially as like a young girl. Or woman. Thank you. Well, it's interesting. One of the things my therapist said um, was she said, when you're a child, you learn that survival comes from a close relationship with your caregiver. Like that's how you just survive. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So sometimes I'd be like, was I really being selfless and wanting to help her or was it purely survival? And I've learned over time. I'm like, I think it can be both, but mostly probably for children. It's like survival. Like I need yeah. to my caregiver stable so I can have a stable life with her. Um, so yeah, that was an interesting thing for me is I'm like, I'm not, you know, so selfless. I was trying to survive too. A hundred percent. And then when you were talking about that, I was like, she was surviving, you know, because if like something happened to mom, like, you know, the fear of like what happens to me, you know, what's next in my life. And I need my mother to be here to like, still help take care of me for some day-to-day things. Like, I mean, I don't know, like, were you responsible for like paying the bills or was it, or did no. she still do that? I mean, I don't know. Like you got to survive, right? My dad definitely did that, but like she self-harmed. She liked to cut the bottom of her feet. And oh. so but 
before school every morning when I was in third grade, I would hide all the steak knives in the house before school. And I would just like try to hide sharp, dangerous things because I, I knew she couldn't like manage herself with things like that. Wow. And so I would try to protect her in ways like that. But oh it was so emotional much. support, I'd say. Like she leaned on me a lot for emotional support. So I knew all of her thoughts, how she wanted to die, when she wanted to die. Like I helped her write her will multiple times when she was in a suicidal episode. And it's just like a lot to take on the head yeah. of those thoughts. Yeah, that's a lot to take on. Well, you know, it's kind of switching gears just a little bit. So the CDC has said that um, a child's mental health is tied to their parents' mental health. Um, And I think that we've discussed this a little bit, um, just being so close, especially with her like opening up about, you know, her thoughts and how she wanted to die, et cetera. Um, In what ways, I guess you have expressed that you've experienced this. Um, so you've expressed ways that you've experienced how the mental health and your mother are all tied together. Yes. Um, so yeah, I would say a parent child's mental health is strongly connected. Um, but in a way that can be a good and bad thing, right? Especially for a writer, because you can get to know a person or in my case, like she was my character, right? So when I wrote this book, An Impossible Life, I had a character I had to write. I had to know her fears, her desires, her wants. And it was fairly effortless. A lot of people asked me when I was being interviewed in the local news, they're like, so did you like discover things you didn't know? And was that so hard to write this book? And I was like, no, I already kind of knew it all. I just, I knew my character so well because I knew all of her inner workings that when it came time to write this book, it was pretty effortless. I was like, oh, I've always been living in mom's brain. Now I'm yeah. just putting words. So in that way, it was kind of a gift. <laughs> yeah, it probably made it seamless because you didn't have to imagine the character. You knew the character. You lived with the character. If anything, you took on the character. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> like, I was the character. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so you kind of mentioned earlier you are currently writing An Impossible Childhood, a new book that we can't wait for it to come out. So when does it come out and um, what are you going to write after? So the book should come out at the end of this year. It's called An Impossible Mom. And um, I am very into poetry. And so I'm hoping to do like a poetry chapter book after the Impossible series is completed. Um, But yeah, so currently we just have an impossible life, but I'm very excited for an impossible mom because it will be kind of a different shift of the mom's bipolar disorder to the daughter being raised by the bipolar mother. It'll have some of the mirror reflection. Yeah. Yeah. It will have like similar moments, but from two different points of view and it completely changes the context, which is really fun to play with. Oh, that's awesome. So I kind of want to go back. Like what gave you the confidence? Like, you know, I'm just going to write this book regardless of my dyslexia um, you know, diagnosis and how did you overcome, like, were there struggles in, in like writing the book? Like, how did you overcome those things? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say in order to have the confidence to write a book, um, 
I was lucky. My mom was one of my biggest cheerleaders. So in that way, it's like she was my hero, but she was also my cause for needing one. So I had a lot of confidence that I could do it because she believed in me. Um, but as far as like the struggles of writing a book, they're very real. I was a senior in college at the time. And so I studied art education and in most of my lecture classes, I just had my laptop out and I was writing the book in the middle of lectures. And they probably thought I was the most advanced note taker ever. Yeah. <laughs> a novel on the side. So I wrote the book in, I would say probably like seven months but then it took another seven to edit it. And um, yeah, that's equally as painful. Having to edit a book is a whole like struggle of its own. Did but, you edit or did you have someone else help you edit? Because I feel like I would definitely need someone to help me edit my book. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Especially when like, I don't like my grammar isn't terrible, but I'm like, I don't know grammar clause rules. And, yeah. So I definitely had like two freelance editors go over it multiple times um and they fixed a lot of grammar and typos which was so helpful and then I probably read through the book at least 15 times front to cover um just like reworking sentences trying to make it perfect so yeah there was as much editing as there was writing definitely oh my gosh I love that such inspiring <laughs> story so how can people get their hands on the book it is on Amazon. Um, it's also on ebook and Kindle and Audible if you like audiobooks. Awesome. So do you have any last words for our audience today? Anything that they should take away? Um, if you have any dreams that you don't feel qualified to accomplish, I just want to be your cheerleader if you don't have one, that you can absolutely do it, whether that's writing a book or whatever dream you have. Um, you don't need people's permission to be qualified. You can qualify yourself and just say, I'm going to do it. So I, yeah, I'll be your cheerleader if you don't have one. <laughs> oh, well, that's beautiful. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on this episode of Booksmart, Authors on Show. And all of Rachel's links are down below in the show notes. Don't be shy. Go say hi. Go purchase the book. It will be a great read. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I hope to see you all in the next one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Booksmart's Authors on Show here on the In the Limelight Podcast Network, where we enlighten, entertain, and educate our listeners. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe, and don't forget to tell your friends.